Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Well, this morning we're going to continue a series that we uh, began two weeks ago. Last week we took a little bit of an intermission uh, with our Father's Day message, but we're going to conclude a series that I started called God and Mammon. And this uh, series comes from a passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And this is where the series comes from. You cannot, say cannot, serve both God and mammon. We can all try to serve both, but we can't. And in the first message, we focused on two things. Number one, we focused on the reality that God wants to be our provider. Deborah already hit on that. He wants to not be my provider or Pastor Dwight's provider or Sue's provider. He wants to be our individual provider. He wants to do that. That is his heart. Nine verses after Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he talks about how he wants to provide. In Matthew 6, 33, as Deborah already shared, I love when those things come together. He said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Say all these things. All these things will be added to you. Now, what were those things? Those things that Jesus was talking about were everything between verse 24 and verse 33 that we all worry about. All the things that we we worry about, all the things that we try to get on our own and provide for ourselves for, Jesus says, I promise you that if you seek me first, I'll take care of you. Because he wants to be our provider. The second thing that we talked about is what mammon is. Mammon is something we need to know about because it is the greatest threat to God being our provider. The greatest. Pastor Tony Evans on this topic, he talked about this very thing. He said, you have only one source, one provider, and that's God. He uses many different mechanisms through which he makes the provision. But this is the important thing. Never confuse the resources that he can use as your source. God is the source. The resources are just different ways he uses to provide for you. Listen to me this morning. This is what mammon does. Mammon tries to convince you that money, which is just a resource, is actually your sole source of provision. It leads you to believe that God is not your source, but money is. And that money is the source of your provision. It's the source of your identity. It's the source of your security. It's the source of your significance, your happiness, your joy. The message of mammon is this. Money is what you really need. Money is your provider, not God. Put your faith in money and money will take care of you. Money will be a greater security, significance, happiness, provider of happiness, identity, joy than God can. Mammon seeks to elevate money to a godlike status in your life. And mammon is not just a message or a mindset. It's more than that because Dara Prince says this about mammon. Mammon is the spiritual influence behind the pursuit of money. It's a spiritual thing. I would argue that mammon is like a principality. Mammon is a spirit that the enemy wants to use to confuse you on who is your God. And listen to me this morning. Here's the truth about mammon. This is why you can't serve two masters. Because mammon's end goal is to own you. Mammon's end goal is to become your master. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew, or Mark chapter 8, verse 36. We see this in the Passion, Passion Translation. But Jesus talks about this. He says, for what use is it 
to gain all the wealth and power of this world. By the way, that is what mammon promotes. That is what mammon seduces you with. All the power and wealth in the world, what use is it to gain all of that with everything it could offer you? But how many of you know everything has a cost? At the cost of your own life. You know what's interesting about that? Your own life. Which leads me to believe that Jesus was identifying that when mammon is your master, you don't own your life. Mammon owns your life. Mammon runs your life. Mammon leads your life because mammon's your master. And so this is where we're going to go. But today, I want to focus on the question, if God can become our provider, then how does he become our provider? How does he become our provider? God, we lift up this moment to you. We thank you that in worship we already lifted you up. But God, I just ask in this moment, as we talk about this topic, that we would be, you would be able to clearly identify where we may have been led to believe the message of mammon, where we need to recalibrate, where we need to come back under your lordship if we've deviated. Speak into us. Speak to our hearts. Take us where you want to take us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So how does God become our provider? Here's the answer, and this is so important. And if you're leaving early this morning, just take this with you and just forget everything else I'm about to say. It's as simple as this. God becomes our provider when we follow his biblical principles concerning money. That wasn't really exciting, was it? But I think that's part of the problem, is that we overlook things because they're not exciting. They're not, not sensational. It's as simple as that. God becomes our provider when we follow his biblical principles concerning money. I know that sounds boring, but let me encourage you this morning. Be boring. Boring is undervalued. Be boring. God becomes our provider when we follow his biblical pr principles. Let me give you an example. Look at Malachi 3.10. It speaks to tithe, and we'll get to that later. And by the way, once we start talking about money in church, people get tight. I anticipate very little amens this morning. Amen. <laughs> Todd agrees. But when we, but by the way, I think in church, we should talk about everything. Church should not be a place where topics are off limits. There's way too many forums that are free. Why not be free here? Why not be vulnerable here? Why, why not expose the elephants in the room and in culture and in the world? So I encourage you to put your seatbelts on and ride the wave this morning. Malachi 3.10. Because remember, God wants to be your provider, but he becomes your provider when you follow his principles. Verse 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Can I tell you that God does not become a provider to certain people because they are just his favorites. He becomes a provider to people who are obedient to his commands and principles. That was boring, wasn't it? Oh man, I was hoping you'd tell me a secret. There it is. He says, test me now in this. In other words, he says, I'm a provider and I'm really good at providing. 
But I want to see where your heart's at. I want to see where you are. I want to actually see if you really trust me the way you tell people you trust me. If you really trust me, here's something you can do. And then watch what I do to reward your faith. By the way, I'm just doing all this because at the end of the message today, we're going to make it, take a miracle seed harvest offering, and I want you to bring all your money to the altar. Where are the deacons and elders at? Lock the doors. No one is leaving until you exercise your faith. There's no incentive right now for me. This has nothing to do with the state of the condition of the financial situation at the church. This is about you experiencing the provision of God. He says, bring the whole house, whole tithe into the storehouse and then watch what I do. See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now, what's the biblical principle here? Just shout it out. Tithing. And what's God's promise when you tithe? I will open up the windows of heaven. So this is, this is where we're going this morning. Listen, what this scripture alone shows us is that God's provision requires our partnership. And our partnership, partnership is demonstrated through following God's principles concerning money. See, he wants partnership. He wants to come alongside of you. You can do it all on your own. But this is a way that we come alongside God and say, you know what? I'm trusting you, so I'm going to do this to test and see if you are as good as you say you are. When we follow his biblical principles concerning money, it is evidence to him that we trust him to be our provider. It's not evidence to me. It's evidence to him. What other ways, financially, can you show him that you're walking in faith? A month ago, we talked about living faith. You know what tithing is? Living faith. It is. And what did James say? He said, faith without works is dead. So from a financial sense, if you say, hallelujah, God is my provider, gyros on repeat in your car, but you don't follow his principles, do you have a living faith or a dead one? Faith is an active thing. It's not static. That's why James went on in James chapter 2 to say, even the, the demons believe and shudder. You don't want to just be in a belief place where you're static and you don't do anything to demonstrate faith. How do you demonstrate faith financially? You follow his biblical principles. It's that simple. See, one of the ways we seek first the kingdom is following his principles. Let me ask you, what does Jesus promise happens when you seek first his kingdom? Everything else will be added. He'll be your provider. See, God's heart for everyone, this is point number two, God's heart for every one of his children is for us to financially prosper. Everyone. Everyone. And you know what? That is really a hard pill to swallow when you grow up in poverty. Because you just won't believe it. It's a hard pill to swallow. And let me show you why he wants you to prosper. Now, the word prosper gets a really bad, it's, ooh, people start to, ugh, it feels greasy. Feels, ugh, it feels disgusting, especially in the church environment. But I'm not going to go where you think I'm going. <laughs> I'm not going to take it to where it's been taken. But there's something inside of you that needs to understand that if you are a son or daughter of God, he wants to take care of you, and that taking care of you is going to lead to a prosperous life. It goes on to say this in Malachi 3.10. We just read it. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until what? 
that's what prosperity is. Prosperity is a life that overflows. What that means is that you have more than enough for yourself and you have more than enough for other people. It means that you're not living paycheck to paycheck. You're not waiting for another stimulus package. People are like, I still got mine. Mm, the precious. It, it means that, can I be honest? It means that we're not relying on bankruptcy to bail us out over and over again. He wants to prosper us until it overflows. It, we see this same heart, let me just say, his provision, which is what we see here, leads to prosperity. And do you know how I know that God wants to prosper you? Because of Jesus. Because every single thing that Jesus did met the need or exceeded it. Every, he never left someone hanging and said, I'm going to give you a fractional share of healing. He exceeded it or he delivered on the need. Every single time, it's prosperity. 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in what? All things. And be in health, just as your soul prospers. God's heart is for us to prosper. Now, here's where things get weird, and you can YouTube it. Because pastors, when they talk about prosperity, they like to try to define what prosperity looks like. And here's the truth. I will not define what prosperity looks like for you. Yeah. I'm not promising a mansion and a Ferrari. Right. Because prosperity is relative to who you are. Prosperity is relative to who you are. And let me just tell you this. If we see parables about the talents where God dispenses different measures to different people, that means prosperity will look different to everybody. What you get mad about is the measure that you get when you follow his principles because you're salty about someone else getting something else. He's the dispenser of the provision. I, I, I'm responsible for me, not what he gives somebody else, and I'm not going to sow a seed so I can get what they got. That's, that's just witchcraft. Are you understand what I'm saying? I'm not promising what it looks like because I'm not God. But here's what I do know. Whatever prosperity looks like for you, it's the result of following his principles. And I can guarantee, if you follow his principles, you will have more money then than you do have now. I don't know how much, because I'm not God, but you'll have more money. Because he's your provider, mammon's not. So quick review. God becomes our provider when we follow his principles. Two, God's heart for every one of his children is for us to financially prosper. So what then are the biblical principles that we can follow in faith to experience God's provision and prosperity? And by the way, every one of these that we talk about, I just want you to understand where it comes from. It doesn't come from manipulating God's heart. Because if you do these things, you're going to have to trust them. You're going to have to, there will be a gap of confidence where you're like, look, I'm doing this out of obedience to what your word has said. I don't know what this is going to look like. So I'm just, God, I'm walking in faith here. It's like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Do you see me? Is anybody out there? Come find me. You got to trust. You have to trust. But you know what I love is that there are scriptural principles that God made it so clear. He put uh, the spirit of God put on people's heart for you to read and say, OK, I'll do that. And I will demonstrate my faith in you by being obedient to what the word says. And then you you fill the gap. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So the first is this in 2011. And one of the things that you will discover about me, if you have not already discovered it, I like to share a lot of personal stories, and I like to be really vulnerable and honest and real, because we need to realize we're not the only ones in the boat. Right. 2011, 
In March, we had Gideon. <laughs> we, <laughs> she did. <laughs> Sorry. My wife had Gideon. That same month, we moved into the house that we now live in. That was a stressful time. A lot going on. A lot of moving pieces that month. Five months later in August, now my wife was a teacher at the time in Lancaster. So she had her maternity leave, went back and taught for a month or so, had the summer off with Gideon. And then as she's supposed to be setting up her classroom in August of that year, she's like, hey, can we have a talk? <laughs> sure. I don't want to teach anymore. I want to be home with my son. Now, guys don't get hot flashes, but I had one. I had the closest equivalent to a hot flash. And the reason why I had a hot flash is because I'm the man. I'm the provider. And I paid the, I, in our house, I paid the bills. And the reason why I was freaking out is because she didn't know what I knew. We were in debt. She didn't know how much debt we were in. Because at that time, I did not know what I know now. Right. Let me just say, let's remove the shame of you not knowing. Right. You just don't know what you don't know. I didn't know it at the time. And so we go to Smoky Bones, and I have to reveal to Allison the current state of our finances. And it was an ugly meeting. <laughs> because... She might have made the assumption that I was the financial guru that her dad was and placed an unhealthy amount of trust in me to take care of stuff. Now, I was not skipping payments, but the debt was growing. So we're sitting down. We get a real healthy picture of what our finances were. And outside of what we owed on our mortgage... We had $60,000 in additional consumer debt. No one's saying anything. Amen. Does anybody want to like start a GoFundMe for my, my issue 10 years ago? Anybody? So you know what the conclusion of the conversation was? No, you can't go and you can't stop working. And that was a humbling, hard conversation to have. But it's also hard just talking about the reality of your current situation. That's right. You gotta be honest. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, no, you can't, you can't. And here's why. Because we have way too minimum monthly payments that need to be paid. Our, our budget was four pages. We, we, we noted credit cards by color. Oh, that's the yellow card. That's the green card. Is that a lie? This was our situation. But let me tell you, by the way, I just want to add this side note. One of the ways that mammon becomes your master is by convincing you you can afford the minimum payment. Ouch. Because then you minimum payment your way into him mastering your life. And you pay, min have you ever seen the statement? In 400 years, if you just pay the minimum payment, you'll be paid off. Just in 400 years, it's not that long. Ask the Israelites. So, the, the answer was, no, you can't stay home. But that does not mean that you can never stay home. So for three years, we literally took our income, divided it in half, and attacked that debt. And in three years, we paid $60,000 off. Amen. And then I looked at Allison and I said, you can stay home now. <laughs> because this whole area of debt We've lived on my income for three years. We can live on my income to continue. The first principle that you have to understand is get out of debt. Get out of debt. 
As, as Dave Ramsey says, when you have debt, you're just normal. You don't want to be normal. I mean, I'm telling you, we had, we had colored credit cards. We had, it was like Oprah. It was like, I get a credit card from there and there and there. And it was, and, and after that three years, our, our budget shrunk to two pages. We, we eliminated two pages worth of minimum monthly payments. It was a rough conversation, but get rid of debt and stay out of it. If you don't have it, avoid it at all costs. And if you do have it, do everything you can to get rid of it. This is just the truth. Proverbs 20. Now, the reason why that's, the reason why there's not a lot of amens in that is because debt is so normalized in our culture. Okay? I'm not saying I don't have a mortgage loan. I have one. I don't, I'm not saying, and this is not hypocrisy, because every time I'm writing this sermon, I'm like, man, this is talking to me here. We have a credit card. But everything is so normalized in our culture. Debt is so normalized in our culture. You can't get anywhere without debt. Why? Because they want to master us. We'll get into that. Listen, Proverbs 22.7 says this, the borrower is the slave to the lender. That's some really harsh language. The borrower is the slave to the lender. Paul says this, if you think that, that debt is an old covenant thing, listen to what Paul says in Romans 13.8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Now, we may be get, get upset by this, but in my opinion, there is no greater way that mammon tries to become our master than by being in debt. Yeah. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The word serve there describes a slave whose actions are being directed by someone else. So here's the truth. The reason why we become a slave when we get in debt is because some of our actions now are dictated by the one who has lent us the money. It's just the truth. You may never say it out loud, but you have limitations on your life when you have debt. You have things you can't do. And it's all because of what you Oh, one Greek scholar described the word serve in Matthew 6, 24 in this way. This word was used to denote a servant who would become a slave for the rest of his life. Do you know, by the way, one of the determining factors of having a good credit score is how long you've had debt? Do you not see that our system is set up for mammon to be our master? And Mammon just has a whole bunch of names. Visa, MasterCard. Don't get it twisted. We're not the master. They're the master. They are mastering you by saying, hey, I'll give you a card. Is it no accident that 18, your post office box, your mailbox gets flooded with new applications to give you new freedom, lies... They just want to be your master for a lifetime. I mentioned that a statistic that was inaccurate last uh, two weeks ago that Pastor Dwight rebuked me about, but I'm going to say it right now. I'm kidding. That's a joke. I knew it was inaccurate. It's like, that doesn't sound right. Right. This total outstanding credit card debt of Americans is not in the trillions of dollars, but it's actually $986 billion. That is the amount currently owed on credit cards in debt. What that tells us is that there is more money being spent on credit cards than ever before, but it also indicates that there are more Americans that are slaves to lenders than ever before. Here's the truth. The reason why Allison couldn't stay home and be with Gideon is because we were slaves to too many lenders. That was the reason. One of the things, listen, I hope you get this. One of the things that defines the life of a financial slave is not just the outstanding debt that they may owe, but also the freedoms and opportunities that are not options because of the debt. 
I can't do that because I can't afford to do it. Second thing I want to talk about is having a budget. This is not just, this word is not written out in scripture, but I'd like to use a familiar passage that also rings true with having a budget. Number, uh, uh, the first thing is Proverbs 29, 18. Without vision, people cast off restraint. You know what your budget is? Something to see. It is a vision of your current financial reality. And if you don't have a budget, you will cast off restraint. Here's, <laughs> let me just say it this way. And this is funny because this rings so true for me. You always have more money in your mind than you do on paper. That's right. <laughs> have you ever thought, I just got paid? I got so much money. And you start paying bills and you're like, I have no money. Why did I think I have so much money? I have none. And that, that is such a depressing exercise because you're like, can I just live in the fantasy of thinking I have more money here than I actually do? That's why a budget is so important. Because a budget is a vision of where you are sending your money. You need to see where your money is going, but it's also a system you create to tell your money where to go. Another scripture, Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. You know what that is? Know well the condition of your money. Right. Know where your dollars are being spent. Give your money somewhere to go instead of letting it leak out of your pocket. When you don't have a budget, guess what will spend your money? Your emotions. Your emotions will spend your money for you. Three years, Allison and I paid that money off because we started a budget that was realistic. We itemized out every single debt from smallest to largest, and we began to tack the smallest one. Then we went up, and then we went up, and then we went up, and then... And by the way, let me just tell you something. Here's a blessing of God in the middle of it that we did not anticipate coming. Because once you start to follow God's principles, he starts to provide for you. One of the debts that we had was Allison's college debt. And we did not discover until about halfway through that she worked in a low-income district that would qualify for student loan forgiveness. So in our process of paying off debt, we filled out an application and about $10,000 got wiped out. If you don't think that that is God saying, hey, I'm helping you along because you're doing what my word says, you're wrong. Do you also know how difficult it is to get approved for that debt forgiveness? It ain't easy. They may, you jump through about 18 hoops for that to happen. But she was a candidate, someone that got it. Number three, practice generosity. Practice generosity. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, there is one thing you lack. In other words, you, there's one thing you don't have. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. In other words, this rich young ruler, he was wealthy. His confidence was in his wealth his money, to be able to get everything that he wanted to get. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, there's one thing that you don't have. It's what you get when you give all that you have away. This speaks to the upside-down kingdom that we live in. There are only things you get when you give. See, we see this in Acts 20, 30, verse 35. G Paul says this, and he, he quotes Jesus. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And here's the deal. Let me just say this. Generosity is never something that comes with more money. It always starts with right where you are. So if you think that you're going to be more generous with more money, you're fooling yourself. You know what generosity looks like? It looks like if you have five loaves and two fish, that's what you give. 
Five loaves and two, just start with five loaves and two fish. It starts right where you are. Two things generosity does. Number one, it purifies your heart. Generosity protects your heart from being consumed by greed. It is counterintuitive to give. Because when you, when you have some money that you could keep, how many of you know that you start to think of a multitude of things that you could get with that money? Generosity works the other way. And it prevents greed from contaminating your heart. Number two, listen to this. This is amazing. It enlarges your world and it comes back to you multiplied. I'm just telling you it does. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Do you want to have a lot of amazing relationships? Be a generous person. Who doesn't love a generous friend? It's natural. It's not supernatural. It's practical. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You know what stingy looks like? You treat people like possessions and possessions like people. Verse 25, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Now, did you see the, multi, the exponential growth there? Because when you give out of a, a heart that God has put in you to be generous, it's not karma. You don't get back what you gave. You get back more. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, um, Allison and I were, um, we had just gotten an income tax check back. And one of the things that I want you to see here, and I want you to, to, to get this in your heart, God pays attention to your generosity. He takes notice of it. We see that in Acts 10.31. Listen to what the angel says to Cornelius. Your prayer has been heard, and your alms, which is your generosity, have been remembered before God. God takes note of your generosity. God takes notice when you're generous. Now listen to this promise. I'll get to the, the testimony. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said this, Give, and it will be given to you. Look at the language. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Five or six years ago, Allison and I had gotten our income tax check back, and usually around income tax check uh, time, or the refund, we start to think about what are some things we can pay for for the whole year, just from a, a, a wisdom standpoint. And then if we have any left over, it's like, what would we like to get? What would we like to do? Well, at this time, we knew of a need that some people had. And the need was right around $500. Now, I don't know about you, $500 is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's about 50 Chipotles back then. <laughs> I could get a Chipotle a week. No, but it was a lot of money. But at this time, Allison and I were like, you know what? Let's be generous. So we met with these people, gave them some money. Now, the other thing is this. There was no strings attached. By the way, when you're generous, don't think about how God's going to give it back to you. It doesn't matter. That's, you're missing the heart. It's just about being a blessing to somebody. So I wasn't, so this did not, this, this step of giving money without strings attached, this did not become a leveraging point in my prayer life where it's like, hey, God, do you remember when, okay, where, when's my turn? A year ago, long, uh, a long time couple that Allison and I know, approached me and said, hey, I want to um, bless you guys. I'm like, cool, gift card to Steak and Shake. You know what I mean? Middle class fancy. Listen, they gave Allison and I 10 times the amount we gave six years ago. Do the math. And it was in that moment that the Lord said to me, I remembered when you gave. Ten times the exact amount 
I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't praying for it. I wasn't looking for it. But I'm just telling you, when you practice generosity, he keeps a record. He keeps a record. And you know what I love about Luke? Listen to this. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap. Who is they? Whoever God wants they to be. (laughs) Whoever God wants they to be is who will be the ones that will pour back into your lap. He don't care. He is the one who owns a cat. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means he has access to accounts you don't have access to, and he will make it work and bring it back to you if you just choose to be generous. Number four, tithing. And I could go on. I got more, but we'll end here because we're running out of time. Number, number four, tithing. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Produce. Now, let me stop right here. I, div- I see this scripture divided in two sections. Honor the Lord from your wealth. That speaks to me about exceedingly abun- abundantly above. That looks like offering to me. That looks like just giving above. But then it also says, honor the Lord from your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Or from the first fruits of what you produce. That's income to me. That's what you make. Three things about tithing. Number one, tithing is the act of giving to God first from your income before anything else. That's why it's first fruits. See, this is where people get tithed. They get quiet on the tithing. I don't understand why. Because this is one of the ways that God provides. It's not about me getting a raise. We didn't have a staff meeting where I was like, man, if I can get another thousand, can you get me 10% of that? This is about you walking in faith. Here's the, do you want God to be your provider or not? I personally have no problem with you wanting God to not be your provider. But I'm just telling you, it's going to be a whole lot more work for you. It's going to be a whole lot more work. It's going to be hard. It's harder to be your own provider than it is for him to be yours. Tithing is the act of giving to God first from your income before anything else. It's not giving to God most. It's giving to him first. When it comes to your money, listen, there's no better way to demonstrate seeking first the kingdom than giving to God first. If your tithe is last rather than first, it's more like a tip than a tithe. It's like, it's, let me just say it this way. It's very easy to give to God last, but that also looks like leftovers. The reason why it's so, this is one of the mis, miscalculated things when we think about tithing. You know the beauty about tithing is the, the unexpected accountability that giving to God first creates for you. Because now you're like, I got 90 left. I better know what I'm doing and pay attention to what I'm doing. Listen, here's why it's important to give to God first. Because it establishes what you do with the rest of your money. Giving to God first creates an unexpected discipline with the rest of your money. Number two, the tithe, by definition, is 10% of your gross income. Now, I'm sharing these things. I'm not sharing these things to create this religious attitude. I'm just trying to give you clarity about what that looks like. And if you, all you have right now is five loaves and two fish, start there. Just start there, and you'll start to see the incremental provision of God, and then you'll be like, hey, this actually works when God's my provider. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. If you've got a widow's might, give it. It doesn't matter. We're not judging anybody based upon the amounts. The tithe, by definition, is 10%. First fruits, that's before you pay your taxes. That's literally what the word tithe means. It literally means tenth. That's where it comes from. 
We see Jesus, because there's actually a year ago, there was this movement in the church. I don't even know where this came from. I'm just going to say it. Sorry, I need to, I need to have a 40-second rant. Let me just say this. They can delete, delete this from the YouTube, guys. Of all people, to tell the body of Christ that tithing is not biblical, Creflo Dollar has no right. Because he was asking for people to fund an airplane on his behalf. And then once he got everything, he was like, tithing's not biblical, y'all. You, are you kidding me? Jesus talked about tithing in Matthew 23. It's a new covenant thing. He said in Matthew 23, 25, or 23, 23, he said, you need to tithe. He says that to some Pharisees. Because these Pharisees were tithing every single thing. Every little minute thing they were giving. Tithing, listen, is trusting God that he will provide in your 90% what you can't in your 100%. And here's where the philosophy of tithing came from. And this philosophy is absolutely phenomenal. It comes from a Jewish mindset that believes it is a mockery to God to think that you need all 100% of your money. So they believed, listen, that God can do more in your 90% than, he can, than you can do with your 100%. And that same principle applied to the Sabbath, which is why they would only have one day that was completely rest, because they believed, God, if I obey you and I Sabbath, you will make my six days more fruitful than all seven. Which is why Hobby Lobby is ballin'. And Chick-fil-A. You know why? Because every one of us wants Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Everyone, everyone. And then you get dis disappointed. Joseph sent out a meme in our, our uh, text messaging app. It said, Father's Day, eat free on Chick-fil-A on, on Father's Day. Father's eat free on Father's Day at Chick-fil-A. And I said, that is a cruel joke. It's not funny. Because they honored God. Because, listen, some of the, the inability to tithe simply is an issue of pride. But what this mindset says is how ridiculous is it for me to believe that you would not make up for what I think I'm losing? You said you'd be a provider. Malachi 3.10. Test me now in this, if I will not provide or open for you from the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. Number three, tithing is how you keep mammon from being your master. Do you know what tithing does? It starves mammon. It tells mammon, money's not my master, God is. And I trust in his provision more than I trust in my money to provide for me. When you keep your tithe, you are showing that you trust more in yourself and your money to provide for you, when you give your tithe, you're giving God an act of faith that he can reward. It's, showing, it's giving God something, saying, hey, look, look, look at how I'm being obedient. You know what scripture says in Hebrews? God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He will take care of you. I'll just say this. He wants to be your provider, but he needs a partner. Will you stand with me? If we could get the plates, I'm kidding. <laughs> Gosh, that's so funny to me. Oh, man. <laughs> My cash app is Saigon <laughs> Here's the truth, and this is where it comes, it, it all comes down to this. Do you trust him enough to follow his principles? That's it. If you don't, that's fine. I have nothing to do with that. If you don't trust him in this area, that's fine. But do you trust him? Maybe for some of us today, this will, we will be stepping into a new realm of faith today, saying, okay, man, like, I, I see it. Like, I have not been trusting God. 
I've been saying I trust. I trust them with relationships. I trust them with my job. I trust them in all of these er other areas. But this is an area where I have had lived in fear or I've lived in control or I've had pride. I've been leaning and relying on my own ability to do this. And this is an area where I'm going to actually have to step out in faith. But like I said earlier, living faith. Faith without works is dead. This is how you show God, hey, God, I'm all in. Like, I am leaning on you. I'm depending on you. And with, with tithe, I have grown in that. There was a time where I didn't trust God, where I was, I was giving him leftovers. A lot of it had to do with my lack of discipline when I was a young person. I, I wasn't disciplined, but I've grown. I've matured. I've developed. And I trust him. So do you trust him? If you do, will you just bow your heads, join me? God, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can talk about every topic in, in, in your church. We can, we can address everything. And Lord, I pray for the hearts of every single person in the room. Lord, those places, I pray for fear. I pray for those that just don't know how to start. I pray for those that the enemy would want to lie to them and tell them, God's not that good. He's going to do that for everybody else, but not for you. And Lord, I just pray that there would just be a clarity moving forward and that every single person in the room would take more steps towards you and faithfulness in the realm of finances than they ever have before. Those that have not been generous, I pray they would step out. Those who tithed inconsistently or whatever it may be, I pray they would step out. Those who have never developed a budget or, uh, or don't know how to get out of debt, God, I pray you would begin to give them wisdom. I pray that you would bring people across their path to help them, to assist them, to encourage them and strengthen them, Lord. But Father, I thank you more than all of that that in Redeemer's Church, for soon to be 58 years, you've been so faithful to us because we've been so faithful. We've made the choice to trust you in the realm of finances, and you have always provided exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. And I pray in the way that you've done that for Redeemer's as a whole, you would do that with individuals as they partner with you and walk in faith. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.